Hey everyone, I'm your host Lucas Whitaker. With this week's episode, I'm here with my co-host Dylan Hale here, and we have two very special guests with us this week. What's up, guys? Chad Martini, uh, third week in a row being here. Super excited to talk. I think we have a lot of good things to touch on today. What's up, guys? First time on Luke Malaga. Excited to be on. Talk some sports. So some big news hit us today out of the wide receiver market. Tyreek Hill and the Kansas City Chiefs were unable to reach a contract extension, leading to Hill. Uh, requesting a trade with the team he ends up very quickly with the Miami Dolphins and also gets an extension along with the Chiefs receiving the 29th overall pick the 50th pick and the fourth round pick of this year's draft and also a fourth and a sixth round pick of next year's draft so five total picks and then the Dolphins end up extending Tyreek Hill to uh, three more years on his deal so that the total deal for the next four years is four years 120 million dollars what do you guys think of this news it kind of Came out of left field. I woke up this morning, saw on Twitter, Tyreek Hill, unable to, you know, reach an impasse with the Chiefs. He's looking for a trade partner. Like, what, what was that like for you guys? If this isn't to a time, then, then when is to a time? You know, this feels like his Alabama career where they're just flooding him with talent when he had all those uh, all pro wide receivers on his team uh, in Alabama. Now he's got a ton of talent around him. He's got obviously Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. That's probably I think is the fastest duo of all time. They could probably medal in Beijing this summer. Uh, they even, they got a chase Edmonds uh, to be next to him in the backfield. Obviously Ford's people own. forget Teron Tar- Armstead yesterday. Like that was a deal. That was a player we were talking about on the last show. One of the biggest names mm-hmm. on the market to protect him. Cause obviously uh, the offensive line have been a question for him. They've got guys on defense. So to a, it, it's time for him to prove if he can be a successful quarterback on Sundays, he's got the talent around him to do so. And, We'll find out what, what he's about this year. But I think for the Dolphins, this is a really great signing, even though they, they had to give up a lot. Um, he's now the highest paid wide receiver in the history of the league. But he's obviously an explosive guy who is deserving of the money. Also on his side, I'm curious to see what he can do without Patrick Mahomes throwing in the football. So that's very exciting for my end. Well, yeah. Uh, even coming from a Jets fan, I love the trade. I would love to see him go to the Jets, but I think he really fits in well with the Dolphins. I mean, I think it's going to be really hard to game plan against Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill just the speed they have. And then assuming Gasicki comes back, that's just a very tough team to game plan against. But um, my biggest thing I'm confused about is why would Tyreek Hill, why couldn't they come to an agreement? Because the Chiefs signed Mahomes for a 10-year deal, $500 million. So you're expecting it to be a long-term deal. They want to have pieces around Mahomes for a while. But Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs have their bad breakup. And now Tyreek Hill is going to the Dolphins, which – the Dolphins and Jets were his finalists, and those, I wouldn't say, are two contenders yet. So I just am kind of confused about the move. I really like the move for the Dolphins, don't get me wrong, but I just think something's not really adding up. I saw something on Twitter saying maybe there's something we don't know that will come out in the coming days, but uh, we'll see. I think the Dolphins have a really explosive offense right now. I completely agree with Dylan. If Tua can't win with this offense, then he can't win the NFL. So we're just going to have to see how that goes. I would agree. Um, I think this move kind of came out of left field. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Chiefs pivot from this. Obviously, the signing of Judas Smith-Schuster kind of eases the burden um, for them. But it's going to be as a fan, it's going to be interesting seeing uh, Tyreek Hill not in the Chiefs uh, wide receiver core. He's been such an explosive player for them. So it'll be interesting to see in that stacked AFC West division if they will stay on top. And see how Mahomes will adjust to that. But I agree. I don't know if I love this move for the Chiefs. It obviously came down to money. 
for both parties, but it was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, looking at this from a Chiefs perspective and the deal Mahomes has, obviously, it's a ton of money, but this was one of the things that people were afraid of, kind of not being able to retain all the pieces. You've lost, you know, your best defensive player in, in uh, Tyron Matthew, and now you're losing probably the most dynamic receiver in football in Tyreek Hill. And from a Dolphins perspective, you know, they get Teron Armstead, who is, I think, the best free agent in this class, you know, to protect not to his blind side because he's a lefty, but, you know, you're paying a left tackle that much money to not be the blind side protector. I wonder kind of how much of this is building around Tua versus building an offense where any quarterback could succeed because you're having two of the most explosive weapons on the outside, Mike Kosicki on the inside, and then two just absolute speed demons at running back with hopefully a healthy Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds, both with blazing, blazing speed as well. Um, we also got another huge wide receiver deal. You know, if you don't think Tyreek is the best receiver in the NFL, you, you might probably think Devontae Adams is. Um, best route runner, get off the press, uh, receiver in the league, great at contested catches. He ends up with the Raiders, um, kind of a shocker to everyone, especially with Rodgers resigning with the Packers. Um, he gets dealt for a first and a second of this year's draft, um, reunites or unites with, um, you know, it was Fresno State alum, um, Derek Carr for next year's, um, oh no, this year's, sorry, first and second round pick from the Raiders. Also gets an extension for five years, uh, $140 million, not playing on the franchise tag, which you really didn't want to do. What are your thoughts on that move? Kind of making that AFC West even better than it was. Yeah, my first reaction, as you're saying, it seems like every time we get on this podcast, there's a new AFC West announcement to be made. And I mean, in football and sports and business, whatever it is, it's all about what are you doing to get better than your competition, especially in the offseason. So the Raiders are saying they're looking around and they're seeing what the Broncos did going out against Russell Wilson. They've seen, they're seeing what the Chargers did, boosting that defensive stars and just getting all around studs. Obviously, the Chiefs have won the division and been in the Super Bowl the past few years. So the Raiders, the Raiders, I think, are doing a great job adapting. I think for, I'm very excited for Derek Carr. Obviously, he's a good friend of Monte Adams, but also just he's someone who I think really deserves it. He's some guy you just got to love with all the dysfunction and uh, just chaos that's happened in Las Vegas in the past year. He really deserves a shot. And I think obviously he will get a shot. He's got Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, just a plethora of talent that they think that they can win with. It's just obviously the issue is the competition, which is why I feel like I'm a little concerned for the chiefs at this point. Cause if you look at their net gain, they, they, they gained Juju. You got a TikTok star. Congrats <laughs> with that. But, but you lost Tyreek Hill, you know? So looking at it this afternoon, they might, they might not have the best offense in the division anymore. It might not even be top two, top three. So it's going to be a battle every, every week, every game's going to be a shootout. I'm very excited, but I just am. I'm so excited to watch that division play out next year. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys think of the prospect that the chiefs, like this might be a gross overreaction, but the chiefs right now on paper might look like the worst yeah, team in that division. Four. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's too big, too much of a hot take. I mean, like Dylan said, you look at every team in that division so far this offseason, they're all making power moves. They're all in like a win-now phase, it seems like. And you look at the Chiefs, they're not making any noise. They brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, but, I mean, he's a good second receiver at best. Now you lose Tyree Kill. It's kind of like you saw Travis Kelsey, but now he's going to be the number one receiver as of now on that team. And then you lose Tyron Matthew, you lose Tyree Kill. It's just – they have to have a really good draft in order to make up for this right now, in my opinion, or bring in some 
other moves, but I just don't like where the Chiefs are going this offseason. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the Devontae Adams move from the Packers. <laughs> um, being a Bears fan, I love the move. Um, obviously, that's great for us, but I don't love it for the Packers, as we saw all that went on with Aaron Rodgers. Is He didn't feel like he was being valued, and he wanted more pieces, and he wants to go win a Super Bowl. So taking away their best receiver – from him, I just don't love the move for the Packers. Obviously, it makes the Raiders a really good contender, but I think Green Bay is going to need some need another big move at receiver to fill that gap and compete um, and win a Super Bowl because that's what Aaron Rodgers wants to do in his waning years in the league. Well, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one, Luke, because the news that surprised me the most about that was was that Rodgers knew about this. He, he didn't wake up to this tweet by Schefter saying, oh, your best receiver is gone. He knew what was going on, and he knew that Devontae Adams was leaving. And so Rodgers, with all this drama he's had, they couldn't get a good receiver for him in the draft. They wouldn't draft a receiver. They drafted Jordan Love. You hear that, oh, he doesn't have a good enough receiving core. He has Devontae Adams. But he signs this deal knowing his number one receiver is looking on the market and potentially is going to leave. It just really – makes me wonder what is going on with Aaron Rodgers. Why would he sign here knowing that his problem has always been the receiving core he's had and now the best receiver in football, which I think it's undebatable. Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football, is gone. So I just think it's a little bizarre. Yeah, I think it really draws into question with the Devontae Adams deal, right, what the Packers' plan is and kind of constructing the rest of this roster. Um, they lost to Darius Smith, although Rashawn Gary had you know, phenomenal year last year too. Like they're losing pieces. They lose their best receiver by far. And I think Lazard's still a free agent. Tunyon's a free agent, even though he's coming off of injury. And then instead of like maybe trying to recoup assets in a different way, you know, we talked about Jordan Love on the last episode. You know, all the markets I think that he could have ended up are gone now. You know, Matt Ryan of the um, to the Colts, Deshaun Watson of the Browns. Uh, we might see where Baker ends up too. Like it, it's weird that they didn't try to make a move for that or even like, I don't know, just do something where it's not like you're leaving the cupboard kind of bare for this quarterback that you end up paying. I think it's roughly like 50 million a year for. Um, and then from the Raiders perspective, you know, I think they've made a lot of really strong moves um, so far. I think getting you know Chandler Jones and then grabbing Rockison in a trade, um, trading away Yannick Ngakwe, who's kind of not necessary, especially with that money. Um, now that you have Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, you know, I think Patrick Graham is a phenomenal defensive coordinator as well. The Chargers made a ton of strides with that roster. And you talk about that front seven, you talk about, you know, the receivers around Herbert and just, just their ability to just break you defensively is just huge. And then having such a great defensive uh, minded head coach as well, um, it's really it's tricky with the Chiefs and then it just kind of muddles the waters in that AFC West, but it's it'll be really interesting to look at. I think, for sure. And then relating back to that, you know, that quarterback movement, obviously, I think the biggest news in what seemed like the last month of just quarterbacks switching teams left and right. Um, Deshaun Watson is traded. <laughs> Deshaun Watson is traded to the Cleveland Browns, um, you know, who ended up cutting uh, Jarvis Landry, but they get Amari Cooper. Um, what do you guys kind of make of that news? Not only the haul of that trade, but also just Deshaun Watson, again, being kind of the face of a franchise. Yeah, it's a tricky situation to talk about, but Deshaun Watson, before all this 
always been my favorite player, favorite athlete to say that. I won't go too far deep into all that, but he, he was such a great community man, great leader, obviously amazing football player. So I think with that in the past, this is a great move for Deshaun. I'm happy for him. Like nothing good was coming out of his career in Houston, despite the numbers he put up and the effort he, he put in. But now he comes to Cleveland. Yeah, the AFC is still super stacked. But with him, Chubb and Cooper, I think that's arguably one of the best trios in the NFL to start with. They've got talent. They still have talent. And defense has talent as well with Miles Garrett. So I think they, they can make a push to win that division if, if the chemistry goes the right way. Obviously, a lot of new faces in the locker room. But I think Cleveland as a city and as, a, as an organization is happy to, to have Deshaun instead of Baker, even though some of the, some of the people in that city – will never turn against Baker, but uh, I, I'm excited for that division as well because I talked about last time, Baltimore is still a team we're forgetting about. When they come back healthy, they can come back and win that division. Uh, Pittsburgh kind of figured things out, and then obviously you got the Super Bowl champ, run, Super Bowl runner-ups. So I'm, I'm happy for Deshaun. I'm happy for Cleveland, but that's another division. Just the whole conference as we've been talking about this one. The so, is loaded. You know, there's only seven spots, you know, and – you can make a case for most of the 16 teams in that conference to, to be in that. So it's going to be something to look out for. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I have to say, Browns fans have to be grateful for what Baker Mayfield did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I still believe he's such a mediocre quarterback. There's nothing he does great. There's nothing he really does too terrible, but he doesn't have any great ability that stands out when they look at other NFL quarterbacks. He brought that team from being the – laughing stock of the NFL to that game where he came in at halftime against the Jets, brought the Browns back, and then it kind of started a good note for the Browns. But I, I love the move for the Browns. I think Deshaun Watson is such a baller. I mean, it's going to be really fun to see him with the weapons around him. They have a great O-line. They have Nick Chubb. They have Amari Cooper now, who I think is a really underrated aspect to that team too. And they have I think they have a really good defense. I think their secondary needs some improvement still. But, I mean, Miles Garrett, who I could argue is the best defensive player in the NFL. I mean, I just think it's a really good move for the Browns because it was kind of bizarre watching a team with a very talented roster like they had not be able to really pull out games, not be able to win the games they should be winning. But now I think Deshaun Watson could be the answer for that. And, I mean, you were talking about Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper, but they still have Kareem Hunt in that backfield too. So, when you want to go past heavy, having Kareem Hunt as their second running back is just it's just a gift from God at that point. So, I mean, I really like the move for the Browns right there. I agree with the move. Um, I'm a fan of it. But one thing I'm just wary of is I hope Deshaun Watson can develop as, like, a leader in that room. Because I know Andrew, Andrew Barry, the GM of the Browns, talked about how he wanted a leader and a mature adult in that room. And I guess that wasn't Baker. Like you guys said, I'm a, I was a big fan of Baker. I think he did. Some I think great the clubhouse things. is good. like liked Baker for the most part too. I think it's kind of like similar to the old Dell situation where it's like this perception's built out from the outside, and the players aren't necessarily as exposed to it as we might think. They did say they want but, an adult at QB like that. Yeah, I didn't see that. That's, that's crazy. crazy. Andrew Barry said that's that, crazy. Which, that's so weird. Which going to Deshaun Watson is like I guess questionable, but you got to give him a chance to prove himself, and he's obviously. I was a big fan. I wish the Brown, uh, the Bears drafted him in that one draft with Mitch Trubisky and Mahomes. I wanted them to get Sean Watson, so I'm happy yes, that well. he's finally, <laughs> yeah, he's finally on the Zach team Wilson now. 
Zach Wilson made strides last year. I don't know if, how many people are aware of this, but yeah. like down the stretch last year, Zach Wilson was good. Oh, yeah. Wow, like Corey Davis was hurt too. For the yeah, most he part. gave hope for Jets fans. Him and Braxton Berrios were kind of fun to watch at the end of the yeah. season. Well, that Braxton uh, touchdown return against the Jags was a lot. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about this? Braxton Berrios resigning with the Jets. I mean, I think that there's sometimes, you know, these, these big moves – you know, get all the buzz and everything. But there are also a lot of smaller moves around the NFL. You talk about Braxton Berrios and Robert Woods, who is a consistent 1,000-yard receiver, gets traded to the, the Titans. Julio gets cut from the Titans. I never thought I'd say those words. But, like, what do you guys – are there any under-the-radar kind of movements with the wide receiver or maybe even with the quarterback market? You talk about a Marcus Mariota yeah. um, that interests you. Well, yeah, I mean, talk about the quarterback market. I'm really excited. I mean – I showed you guys the picture of Marcus Mariota because we forgot to talk about him. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Don't I forget love to-, to talk about him. He just isn't worth talking about. Yeah, I think <laughs> he is. I mean, I loved him at Oregon. I mean, this time in the NFL didn't go too well, but he was fun to watch as like that running option package on the Raiders. And I mean, now you really don't know what's going on with the Falcons. So I think it'll be cool to see him get another chance with the Falcons. I mean, I think he still definitely has a talent to be an NFL quarterback. Maybe his throwing isn't the best, obviously, but. I think he'll be fun to watch. And then an under-the-radar signing that blew up because of the contract was Christian Kirk for me. I mean, I think Christian Kirk is a great NFL receiver. Don't get me wrong. But for the contract he signed, I think it was around four years, $84 million. Yeah, I just it's think that's a little crazy. excessive for him. It's he crazy. wasn't even a one re- number one receiver on the, um, Cardinals. on the Cardinals. I mean, I guess you're bringing him in to be a number one receiver here, but – he plays more of the slot role. He's not a big receiver. You're not going to throw him outside. He's going to try and get a mismatch on a safety. But four years, $84 million for Christian Kirk, great for him, great for his family, but I just don't buy it. Yeah, I, I don't know. First off, if you didn't watch our episode last week interviewing Michael Hugh, I definitely encourage doing it. We talked a lot about contract structure as well, but also him being, you know, one of the first um, African-American player personnel people in the NFL and also the first – Um, African-American GM of a professional football team, you know, we go into kind of, you know, this market inflation of the NFL and these contracts definitely being higher than, you know, necessarily the teams even want to pay, but it's kind of the price they have to pay and they have the cap floor. I think it's kind of the case with Christian Kirk. Um, You know, if you look deeper into the money, it's not a ton. They can, they can get out of it relatively easier than you might think. Um, but it's still a ton of money. I mean, you talk about just how active they were in free agency. Trent Baalke said, well, we don't want to build our team out this way. It's like, well, then why? it's kind of like, why are you, though? Because there are what different ways to win in the NFL. You know, we've seen just countlessly, countlessly, countlessly building through free agency might work for a year. It's not going to have a lasting impact. And when you're the Jaguars and you have Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback and you have a lot of, you know, younger pieces um, like James Robinson, Travis Etienne, like why are you committing that much instead of trying to build stuff or just trade guys to try to, you know, teams are willing to take on, like you want to dump a contract for a good player. Like we saw it with Robert Woods, right? And like no picks, but you get the money and you get a really productive player who might be coming off an injury, but we've seen a lot of guys recover from those ACLs pretty seamlessly. I mean, Cooper Cup did it, I think, three years ago. Yeah, well, I'm with you with the Jaguars thing. I mean, it's almost like the front office there is expecting this to be a over 500 team. I still don't see the Jaguars as winning more than six or seven games. I mean, 
they signed a lot of good pieces, but they didn't sign any great pieces. They signed a bunch of good players who will be helpful. But like you said, they have a lot of young talent. I think they might be trying to rush the situation going on there. And I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm just not too big of a fan of what they're doing. I think, yeah, they're also in an underrated division. I mean, that's transitions me to my favorite deal of the past week, which is Matt Ryan heading to the Colts. I'm really happy for Matt Ryan. Obviously, he's been a, unbelievable for Atlanta. When he when he has a good surroundings and when he has uh, good offensive coaches, you saw what he did. He won an MVP, almost won a Super Bowl. But now he's in Indianapolis, and a recipe that has proven to work we saw two years ago, Phil Rivers, old quarterback, took him to the playoffs. Actually, an underrated theme in the NFL now that we're, we we're starting to notice is, like, if you have the talent, if you have it ready to win, then – Get, go get that veteran quarterback. Don't don't worry about getting the flashy young guy, even though, like, all the buzz is about Mahomes and Watson and Herbert, all those guys right now. Look at the last two champions. Stafford went to the Rams, and Brady went to the Buccaneers. I'm not saying the Colts are going to go out and win a Super Bowl this year, but with that defense and offensive line and Jonathan Taylor, who was an MVP candidate, I think the Colts are in serious business this year. I love Matt Ryan. I think he still <clears throat> puts up great numbers. Talented guy. Obviously, he's been around sport for a while, so I think – That'll go, go very well in Indianapolis. And then you add that to the Titans, who obviously got bumped a little too early by the Bengals last year. But with Robert Woods now, and we'll see what else they do. They're up there too. So, I mean, Jacksonville, yeah. I mean, Houston also isn't great, but Jacksonville is, is in an underrated division for sure. Yeah, I also love that move for the Colts because, I mean, when the Colts brought in Carson Wentz, they kind of figured, all right, we don't need him to do much. We need him to be able to make plays outside of the running game, off play action, off of simple throws, and then we'll be successful. And Carson Wentz couldn't do that. I mean, I think Matt Ryan is a perfect guy for that. You're not going to be asking for an awful lot from Matt Ryan. Yes, he's getting older, but he's still showing you. You know what you're going to get. Yeah, you know what you're getting with Matt Ryan. It's Matty Ice. He's a great thrower. He's clutch. He's, he's clutch. Very he's going to win you some games that you might think. You and Carson Wentz lost you those games last yeah, year. Exactly. Actively lost you those games. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think Matt Ryan is a really good piece for the Colts. I mean, like you said, you're not saying they're going to win a Super Bowl right now, but I mean, I wouldn't throw them out of that window. I think they have that great run game. They have a very good defense. They have a great line. They have Michael Pittman still. They lost uh, Pascal, but they might have to draft a receiver or something. But I mean, I think that they are in a very good boat right now. Dylan, I like what you said about going with that veteran QB because, like, we've seen time and time again, it's difficult to develop a young, although flashy, but a young QB. Like, we've seen it with the Bears and Mr. Bisky and, like, other teams. Look at the 49ers. They thought Trey Lance going to be their guy, and Jimmy G turned out to get him very deep in the playoffs. So I think going with that veteran QB is a smart play. Get the best out of Matt Ryan and kind of see where you're at. Um, but they have good pieces around him, so I think they can be a contender. Yeah, I mean, I also love the Matt Ryan move. I think you talk about even on the defensive side, starting with the Colts. I, I think I kind of grew out of taste in that Eberflus' time in Indianapolis. I think they played like prevent, prevent press defense. It just didn't play enough to that team's strengths. They have a lot of talent on that defense. I think, you know, um, Darius Leonard is best inside backer in the league. Defend, uh, Defoe's a force on the inside. Kenny Moore is probably the best nickel in the league. Um, and then you talk about, you know, just building up front, Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson are still there. They lost Mark Lewinsky, but they have, you know, guys in the reserves who, who I think can step up to that interior line role. Um, you know, I think Michael Pittman's going to be a star in this league and Jonathan Taylor already is, you know, there are a lot of things to like about that team. It's pretty weak division, you know, 
Colts and Jaguars aren't really expected to do much this year at all. And I don't, I don't see how they possibly really could. They just don't have those kinds of ceilings this year. Um, Titans should be good, but that's, you know, that's one team out of three in your division. You know, you play in a dome and you have a quarterback who can sling it. And I just like, I, I love this situation for Matt Ryan, you know, last year, even too, he had solid numbers, but for half the games, like only Tikias was his best receiver. Russell Gage was out with injury for, you know, a good chunk of the season. Obviously the Calvin Ridley had the personal leave. Um, you know, he had Todd Gurley as a starting running back two years ago. It, it, he hasn't been set up for the most success in the world over the past, you know, five or so years since that Super Bowl run. And this really gives him a chance. You know, th- I think this was the best move the Colts probably could have made. This is the best quarterback not named Deshaun Watson on the market. And he wasn't going to go to the Colts because that was within the division. Um, and I think the personal concerns probably picked him out of that as well. You know, if you're, if you're having concerns about Carson Wentz as a person, um, I think that the Deshaun Watson situation at least is, I don't know, for the lack of a better word, trickier than that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just have to go with Dylan there. I think Matt Ryan was my favorite move as well. Although I do also like the GJ Shark to the Lions move just as an underrated receiver. I like him with Mon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, um, TJ Hawkinson. I think that that team has potential. They were really close on a lot of games last year. They could, they could sit around 500, I think this year. I know I brought up Stafford as an example there. Speaking of the Rams, Allen Robinson, great talent that is heading there just for him as a person. He's, he's been through horrible situations in terms of like his quarterback situations, the different organizations he's been around. So the Rams, I mean, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen at, at wide receiver position, but they've proven that they've been able to make that work. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Odell. If they bring him back and they got obviously triple crown winner, Cooper cup, Allen Robinson, Odell and Van Jefferson, Super Bowl, Super Bowl champs. I think, especially with the weekend NFC, we keep coming back to that as to how, different those two conferences are now other than the Buccaneers and maybe the Packers. Like I think the Rams have a, should feel pretty comfortable about their trip back to the Super Bowl. but for Allen Robinson and for the Rams, I, I like that. I think that could be the deal I've seen so far that just fits the most for both teams. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Allen Robinson will be fun to watch at that Rams offense. I mean, like you said, if you don't know where Odo Beckham's going to go, you lost Robert Woods. I think that was a really underrated signing to get Allen Robinson. They kind of went under the radar too. Like there wasn't too much noise about it. It's like people really forget how talented Allen Robinson is. Like Dylan was saying, he's just stuck in a terrible situation. A bunch of different quarterbacks and a bunch of not good quarterbacks, just to be straightforward. And so, I mean, I think it'll be fun to watch with him and Stafford, Cooper Cup, and a good run game. So, that'll be exciting. I think it'll be interesting, like you said. Like, I've kind of forgotten how good of a player he is. And, like, I think he's – like, he hasn't shown me a ton – um, obviously in a really bad Bears situation. So, like, it'll be interesting to see if he can redeem himself and, like, put himself back into that top receiver, top-tier level. Um, obviously, he's got great pieces around him, but I'm really curious to see if he's the same receiver I knew when, like, the Bears first got him, and I was super excited. So, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with a good quarterback and, obviously, good management around him. Yeah, I mean, I think – We've seen so much player movement since free agency started, obviously, with all the quarterbacks and now the wide receiver trades as well. There's still a lot of really good players on the market. I mean, Teron Armstead, I think, signed yesterday or two days ago. Um, There's still a ton of receivers available, a ton of corners available. Are there any other guys that are left that you're excited to see where they might end up? I think the two remaining quarterbacks is is so interesting between Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. 
both guys who have won something in their career. They both won playoff games, but I'm starting to doubt if there's a market for them at this point. Every, mm-hmm. every team, it seems like, has filled their slot. And if you haven't, I mean, the one team that I could think of is Seattle. but It's the Panthers, too. Yeah, and Carolina, but I don't know if you want Darnold and – and say Mayfield in the same room. Yeah. I don't think it adds role. too much to like, yeah. it's pretty even level of play unless you want to push one of those guys yeah. for like a camp competition. Yeah. Especially with the money you'd have to be paying for both of them. Yeah. Um, the thing with like the Seahawks is, okay, so say you go out and you sign Garoppolo or you sign Mayfield. What are your hopes to win seven games, win eight games, you know? I mean, does Tyler Lockett still get moved? I know that was a discussion yeah. after the Russ trade. We haven't yeah. heard anything on that front. You still got a loaded division. I'm assuming at this point with everything, every door closing, that Kyler's heading back to Arizona. Yeah. Unless um, he goes to Do you guys think the Seahawks go through lock? I think they're, they, I think this year. it's best for them and they will do that. And they should, they should think, consider tanking almost because they're not getting anything this year. And there's good quarterbacks. But they and still have so much money in, in, you know, we talk about Lockett, but they resign Quandre Diggs. They have Jamal Adams I'm not, making I'm it. Not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but yeah. who do you give that money to? You know? No. You have all this money, but like some, I think in all sports, you see teams who just have all this money, almost like the Knicks. It's always happens with them. Is like there were stars on the market. Those stars go elsewhere. Oh, we still have the money. Someone's got to get it. Let's yeah, go. Let's go buy Ivan Fournier a mansion. You know, like yeah. so. I think it's it, there Julius is Randall. something worth saying, and like not just rushing to give the money to not to guys who aren't deserving of that top level money. You know. So I think it could make most sense for Seattle to sit back this year, develop some younger guys. Obviously, like Chad's saying, there's Reload. a more exciting quarterback market next year. So we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would like to see where Julio Jones goes, and I would like to see if it's really the end of his career or not. I mean, he'll be 33 this year. He hasn't had a 1,000 receiving yard year since 2019. So, I mean, I kind of thought he was on the downfall of his career. He's getting old. He's – he was you know still productive means. when he was on the field last year. You know what that he, was, means. he was productive. Was but he, he wasn't Julio Jones. TB12 time. Tampa. No. Tom is incentive-laden deal. We didn't talk about that. Obviously, the biggest news oh, since, yeah. since our last show is Brady's coming back. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know if it was a touchy subject for you guys being Jets. Yeah. Fans, so. <laughs> At this point, it's just – I think the, the especially the NFC needed that and just yeah. the football world needs that. Always needs Brady. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he set a great example of, like, you see, we hear all these ridiculous QB deals every few months. There's the, there's a new highest-paid quarterback ever. And Brady just – he's taking cuts, he's taking less salary to just bring guys around him. Like, he, he wins because he has this amazing roster around him. But that's also part of his doing. Obviously, it's easier when, when you go home and your wife is making cover model money. So, like, that makes it easier. But – like he's, Tom, I think he's, he's just he's done such just a good job. Just everyone with this pyramid scheme, yeah, right too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> TB twelve. Oh, yeah, man. he'll bring guys. I think I'd be really excited to see if they get Julio Jones. But I mean, just talking Brady for a second, I don't think I see a situation where he is done with football without the last game being a Super Bowl win or at least something like that. Yeah. Like, you can't go out like that. And he's also – I know Brady – every, every year Brady has – loves his drama. He loves his underdog story. If they could have the best team in football and he'll find a way to say that they climbed some ridiculous mountain to get back to the Super Bowl. I was just saying as a dramatic guy, I can't see Brady not finishing with some revenge tour where it, the prices are ridiculous for every game on the schedule and he's just going to go and beat every team. So – and then also – 
I mean, he's especially, it's not like he was declining at all. He arguably had his best statistical season of his career last year. So he's not going to go out like that when there's still so much production left. And if he, he's not going to go home when his, when his kids aren't home and when his wife's at work and just sit there when he can still play the best football of his career, you know? So I'm excited to see Brady back. Believe I can't believe I just said that, but yeah, I hope they got Leo. He's been missing football too long. I think. Yeah, I think it's been too long. Yeah, it's been too long. Yeah. The move didn't surprise me at all. If I don't know what you guys felt, but like he's a competitor. So yeah, like, he's a competitor. He's not going to go to Walmart. I knew he, yeah, he wasn't going to be a dad. You know, yeah, going to be a football player. Well, I, I like what you said, Hill, about you don't think he's going to go out until he gets his last Super Bowl, but. And as talented as he is, he's going to be 45 years old by the time next season starts. I mean, he's a robot. Though. He will be able to throw the ball. He's he's immortal. He's the god of all quarterbacks. But I mean, it's only so much longer that your quarterback that your body can go out there every day, take hits from NFL defensive linemen, from 300 pound guys, from 260 pound linebackers rushing at you. I mean, I would love to see him be playing, but I mean, I. I know he. I know he can throw the ball. I know he can throw the ball accurately. I know he can win games. But how much longer can his body take this? Yeah, I mean, you touched upon it a bit, Dylan. Like the underdog story that Tom Brady's always had, always being had a sixth round pick, um, even though you know he has just too many rings for one hand at this point. Like really? it's, but it's it's kind of insane to see that he still has that drive you know he's 45 years old still hungry like that when you know some guys just take their check and they kind of bounce like they don't really have that staying power you know the nfl stands for not for long for a reason it's the injuries and it's you know there's so many good players and guys just physically and mentally have a toll taken on them um but going back to that underdog switch a bit to college hoops my bracket is just completely busted. Like I had, I had, you know, my upsets. I had, you know, the Hokies making it far. I had Wisconsin, you know, I loved Auburn this year too, even though they would have played each other. Um, St. Peter's, New Jersey's own beating Kentucky. Um, just, I mean, that's, that school is, that school's campus is probably smaller than the building. And we're right now, we're in right now. Um, I mean, you just talk about all the upsets. UNC beating Baylor, um, just Iowa losing the first round. Just upsets, upsets galore. Um, are there any big takeaways that you guys had, or is it like I'll never just numb to it now? I'll never, I'll <laughs> never waste an opportunity to give a shout out to the Tar Heels. Mm. I mean, I've they're up there for me with the Jets. Obviously, the Jets are clear number one in the Knicks terms, my favorite teams to root for, but there's just not a ton of excitement with those teams anymore. The most stressful, I'd say, 30 minutes of my of my oh my viewing career as a, as a fan since maybe, what, I was 9, 10 years old watching Mark Sanchez lose two straight AFC title games. <laughs> um, that game was unbelievable against Baylor. They, were, they showed, and they are, that they're – starting five can beat anybody in the country, especially you look at their route now. They got UCLA, who has injured Jamie Jacquez. They win that game. They might play St. Peter's to go to the final four, you know? not Obviously, you can't discredit the Peacocks, but I really like the heels they chances to make phenomenal, it. Too. Yeah, but I think almost – I think more impressive than going up that 25 points before Brady Manick got ejected and Caleb Love fouled out was – to, when they went, when that game went to overtime, it was clear that the five Baylor had on the floor was better than the Most five better. Carolina had. I mean, other than R.J. Davis and maybe Leaky Black, like 
No. It looked like no one had ever brought the ball up before in that group. They were just getting pressed. I text my friend, it looked like an AAU game out there. But to be resilient, to come back, what Coach Hugh Davis did, to come back, obviously R.J. Davis putting up 30 points. He's never done that before. But to come back to guys who really hadn't seen any minutes like that all year, to be the number one seed was just incredible. And I hope the Heels can carry that momentum, especially when they have their full power now, and hopefully – go all the way, but that could just be too much. I got two teams um, that have kind of stood out to me. I feel like this will pop one in Michigan. I've kind of been a Michigan hater ever since the Juwan Howard drama. I didn't think they should be in the tournament. <laughs> I picked them to lose first round. They, lost um, they beat – I mean, they came back. They were down a lot to Colorado State. They beat them. Yep. They beat a really good Tennessee team that I had going pretty far. Um, and I think they're in a really interesting matchup with Villanova. I think that's going to be a super close game. So yeah. props to the Wolverines for kind of like shutting people up and proving that they belong in the tournament. And another team that stood out to me, which may not be for other people, is actually Duke. Um, ever since that North Carolina loss, I've just been – and they're playing the ACC tournament. I've kind of been yeah. on the grounds of Duke isn't that good. And their win against Michigan State, pretty, pretty even though it was game. close – Really good game, winning by nine to Izzo, and you know how that matchup with Coach K and Izzo. I think that that game with Texas Tech is going to be very interesting. Texas Tech's actually favored um, but by about one and a half, but I think Duke has been playing better as of late, and obviously Coach K's last season could be a really good contender and maybe meet Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Yeah, and talking about that game, I think it's just a theme in sports that we even talked about today with football and have an experience like – I think March Madness is the ultimate experience tournament. The average age for Texas Tech is 22, while Duke is, I think it's 19. So that's like a grown man almost versus guys fresh out of high school. Um, so that's really going to test Coach K. And then if they get out of that, you know, obviously they probably are going to see Gonzaga, even though they look shaky against Memphis. But I think experience will be a huge factor going forward um, because the teams that made it this far are obviously less likely to be upset with the experience they have. Um, so yeah, Colin Gillespie and Villanova, I, I had them initially go to the national championship, and I still think they will. And then guys like Drew Timmy with Gonzaga can get them that far. So I think experience is king, and that could that is definitely the theme to look out for in the rest of the dance. Did the Gonzaga game worry you at all, though? They obviously had a no, lot did. of trouble. It did. It did. I mean, they, you shut you shut down Chet, and no one else really did anything. Yeah. They let Timmy do whatever he wanted inside, but they kind of conceded yeah. that. There's no stopping Drew Timmy. There's no stopping yeah. Drew Timmy. Um, we saw that last year, too. Or I guess you could stop him last year, but, you know, whatever. She his first-game um, interview, and he was trying not to curse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Do you guys um, think the Gonzaga-Arkansas game is going to be close? Yeah, I like that game. I didn't like Arkansas at all. Gonzaga's favored by nine points. Which I like Texas Tech a lot, though, too. I yeah. like Texas. You talk about age. Texas has guys who are literally grown men on that team. Obviously, you know, prayers up to Andrew Jones. But, yeah. like, I mean, it, there's a lot of experience around this one. We That's even right. saw it with Kentucky, you know, talking about them losing their first round of St. Peter's. This was one of the more experienced, you know, Kentucky teams that we've had in a while. They yeah. obviously were active in the transfer yeah, portal, brought guys back. You know, this is one of the, this was one of the Kentucky teams that you felt more confident in them kind of making a run. I think yeah, there Coach were a Calipari lot of, Calipari said that they were young in the tournament. They didn't have a single have bad practice. Be on the hot seat, I know. No, you can't. I know they recruit too well. They get too much money. For? The, they get the so much money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think you'd be able to see A team I want to talk about real quick, though, is Miami. I mean, I think – I don't know how we haven't brought up Miami yet. Uh, 
Miami played at such a high pace against Auburn. They completely shut down Walker Kessler. Yep. They have good guards, good shooters all around the court, and they have guys who get you a bucket when they when you need it at most. I mean, I think they had a super impressive first two games, now and now now they play Iowa State. They win that. I don't game. think I've ever been this excited for a ten eleven matchup. Yeah. yeah, like Iowa State. You talk about defense. Yeah, it's yeah, the I mean, definition of clamps. I mean, I think. Miami beats Iowa State in the Elite Eight right there. They play Kansas versus Providence. And I mean, I don't think good Kansas team though. I, think so. uh, I mean I don't uh, love this Kansas team. I don't I don't love the Kansas team either. I think Miami is capable of beating either Kansas or Providence. And then I have to go back, NJ Native. I have to talk about St. Peter's. I mean, you talk about the 15 seeds to make the Sweet 16. You have Oral Roberts, you have FGCU on their miraculous run, then you have St. Peter's. And I heard people talk about it, and I completely agree. I think this is the best 15 seed because they beat two really good teams. They beat Kentucky, who I thought was amazing. And they beat Murray State, who was 32-2 and two going into that game. They had the longest winning streak in the nation, I believe it was, after uh, South Dakota State lost. I mean, they beat I think two Yeshiva really – University has a longer uh... – <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, they beat two really good teams, and they don't play like a 15 seed. They play their, – their biggest uh, problem to me is they have – they don't really have interior presence. They're very small. But they got Doug Burke, Catholic's finest, best mustache in NCAA. But they just got players who play hard. They have an excellent coach who, I mean, I think has just become a fan favorite. And, I mean, it's just an easy team to root for. I think they're a very talented team. And I think the 15 seed kind of throws people off. Is St. Peter's to the Final Four, like, crazy to say or no? No, I mean, no. I don't know the way they've played. Like Purdue is really good size. They should, like, that's my thing. Purdue's yeah. size. Purdue's size. They have this Purdue team is is built. Purdue has the size. Well, that, that's what scares me. The same Peter's, like I was saying about their interior presence. They have Ivy, and then they have the guy who comes off the bench. I can't even remember his name, but he was a uh, All American last year. I think he's number fifty. I mean, they have such good size inside, and then Jaden Ivy up top. I mean. There's a really well-structured team. They've had their struggles, but, I mean, they look really good right now. Yeah. Who, are, who are your – have your – so, twofold. Who were your picks going into the tournament, and has that changed at all? And if so, who's your pick to win it all now? So, my pick um, – well, my Final Four is Gonzaga, UCLA, Arizona, Kansas. It's still intact. I like that Final Four. I think UCLA will be really good. My pick was Arizona to beat Gonzaga. Everyone seems to think that Arizona isn't that good. No, they're great. Questionable, um, against questionable against TCU, obviously. TCU fought, though. I TCU don't, was a good team. Yeah, I don't. And the crowd was in that yeah. game. I still think it's really hard to pick a winner. I'm going to go with my gut and still say Arizona's beating Gonzaga. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to stick with your bracket. I think Texas Tech looks really interesting. I think Duke looks interesting. And Houston makes me worried a little bit, too. They played really good against uh, Illinois. Another early exit for the Illini. Pretty annoying. But, Keep I don't know, I guess I got to go with Arizona at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, second year, it's a bad two years for me for March Madness after missing out on it with COVID. Second year in a row, I had two Final Four teams be bounced in the round of 64. I had uh, Iowa and Kentucky in my Final Four. I really loved Iowa. I had that this year, though. I, I had I Iowa and BT get really far. I almost had Iowa winning the national championship How after the Big Ten run. And then they have Keegan Keep, Murray. Keeps gets they hot. have great shooters. They have good size. I but The rest of their shooters have been cold, but it's like yeah. – they, my rationale for it at least is like they can't continue to be this bad. And then I realized they're collegiate athletes and they're 
like yes. our age or younger than us. So yes. it's like, yeah, that can't be exactly. that bad. But so I have Arizona versus Duke in the final. I think Duke will beat Gonzaga. And then, I mean, I think Arizona is just a really good team. They have great size. They have Coloco down low. They have Bandic Matherin, who's just a, a beast. They have um, Kerr, the shooter. I mean, they're just a really well-structured team. They don't have much experience, which scares me. And they have a new coach, which also scares me. But, I mean, they're a hard-fighting team. They found a way to beat a very good TCU team and, a, I think, the best game of March Madness so far, which was – that cut me up all night. I think we had a lift the next morning too, which is yeah, great. Yeah, but it was, totally, it was just an awesome game. And I think Arizona showed a lot that game, that they have grit, they have fight, and they have hunger. Yeah. Um, Self-show, I want to say North Carolina is going to go all the way, but if we know anything about them. They always have the highest of the highs and the lowest of lows. So coming off – the highest high of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they just get embarrassed Friday night, but I don't think they will. Who are they playing? They play UCLA, UCLA which is a great blue blood great matchup. Um, I initially had Gonzaga versus Villanova in the championship, which I'm happy that those were both alive, so I'll, I will stick with that. But, yeah, I, at the end of the day, I would use your team in North Carolina's has the potential they show they can beat anybody. Look out for the heels. Yeah, I have Zona winning it all, like, or I have them winning it all. I don't think there's been enough for me to necessarily change it, but it's it's a bit shakier. I like Gonzaga a lot coming in, too. I think those were the two teams I was choosing between, kind of. And Gonzaga just more so, I think, hurt them, even though they obviously wanted to advance that. Everybody's that game is shaking off, though. You know? yeah. like, you can I mean, you're that, playing the best teams yeah. consecutively, too. If you too, play, like, what, five teams to get to the championship, you're going to yeah. have a tough game. You know, like, you can't yeah. really name a contender that's just going to cakewalk through it. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, we thought, right, that that perfect Kentucky team was going to walk yeah. through it, and they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, man. AD, baby. Yeah, I personally – maybe I wasn't studied up on Kentucky enough, but I guess I never understood the hype for them. I know they are really good early in the season, but just, like, I think recency bias played a big factor in me and seeing them lose to Tennessee two out of the three times, it just made me think Kentucky wasn't legit, and – I don't know. They found a way to choke the first-round matchup, so very interesting. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of bit off-topic, but when we think about these dominant college programs, or for me at least going in, it's always like the Kentucky, it's the Duke, it's the Kansas, it's the team that produce a lot of NBA players. And then you kind of have to switch that mindset for the tournament where it's, you know, completely different teams where you have, you know, four-year players. Obviously, like Villanova's Villanova. produced a lot of really good uh NBA players, even like guys who blossomed late, like a Jalen Bronson, like got it's it's weird to kind of see that shift. And then, you know, those top NBA um, recruiting teams are kind of the funnels, right, that we see are always top seeds. And we don't see them probably making a splash as much as we think they would. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? And kind of, you know, do you see college teams trying to be more competitive instead of producing more NBA talent, like trying to build up kind of what Kentucky did a bit this year. Yeah, I mean, that's why I honestly like Dylan's pick with Villanova, even though I have Arizona. I mean, Villanova is just a school that develops develops their kids. And so New Jersey basketball, I followed a lot of Villanova basketball because Javon Quinterly went there, Trey Pat, my good friends there right now. They just signed Mark Armstrong as a four-star guard there right now. Brian Antoine is there right now, who is a top 15 player in the country. And the thing is, with Brian Antoine and um, 
Javon Quinterly, they get there and they're expecting to play right away. And that's not how Villanova rocks. They don't care how good you are. They want to develop you and they want to develop you. They want to make sure when they put you out on the court, you're at the best of your abilities and you are a capable player and a, ca- a person that's going to help them win. So that's a reason that I do like Villanova because they have a great coach in Jay Wright. And then they have Colin Gillespie, who's, I think he won the defense player of the year for the Big East, the um, all down player of the year and the player of the year it's overall. Been there forever. First yeah. time ever anyone did that in the Big East. Felt and like 10 years. Yeah. Exactly. But it's just, they have the experience, they have shooters, they have a threat inside. They're, I think they're a really good overall team. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Nova, right, is that they're not, especially this year, they're not a team that plays with a ton of pace, but, you know, they're going to set everything up and everything works in a system and everyone's Mm kind of groomed into this system. And, you know, we see it kind of with the Suns now, too, if we go to the NBA and talk about like the Patriot way and how, you know, they're able to be multiple because also everyone knows their job and knows their system like that takes time and it takes a lot of time, especially when you have these top recruits coming in, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be a star and be one and done. I'm going to get drafted. I just need to like, even just, I just need to get mine in my games. Right. I need to, yeah. And you are just running down the court haphazardly. You're just trying to be flashy plays, trying to, you know, move up in the draft instead of move up in the AP poll. Right. So do you see teams like, again, like we we're seeing it more and less, but you know, we talk about Calipari, like coaches kind of like, we're pouring so much money into the system. Obviously, we're producing NBA players, but we're not producing success at a collegiate level as much. Like we're not, you know, that winning historical program that we want to be or that we've been in the past. We're more so producing players for not our own team, but for other teams. Yeah, as a sport, it's gotten so hard to follow just for the average sports fan because you watch one team one year, you watch the same team the next year, and there's maybe three guys that are that stay with the teams because just because how the way the sport works with one and dones. So I agree. Like schools like Gonzaga and Villanova are, are more; they tend to have guys like Drew Timmy and Colin Gillespie who really just work their way up and become one with the program, establish the system there, and that's why you feel confident picking those teams in March Madness. But yeah, I mean, you made the argument with Coach Cal that like. He'll stay because he recruits well, and he develop, but it's not he recruits well and they make money and all that. But like, I, I guess if you're paying your coach to to make money, then that's one thing. But like to win games is another. And I think that's why I think Nick Saban could be the best coach of all time is because he does the recruiting, but he also pays so much attention to detail with developing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I love college football. Whereas basketball, they almost stop at recruiting and skip a step and say we're going to get you in the draft lottery. So as a sport, it's, it's tough to follow, but. Yeah, I mean, guys like Jay Wright and Mark Few, are, they know so well how to build build their stars up from the ground rather than just taking a five-star, watching them have a few nice performances and send them off. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what Duke's going to do after uh, Coach K is gone. But yeah. because they haven't always been a one-and-done school, it's kind of been in recent years after they got Cam Reddish, RJ, and Zion, you kind of thought of them as a one-and-done school. I mean – they had a time where they had, like, Seth Curry, who was there a long time, J.J. Reddick, Grayson Allen. Those guys were there a long time. So just interesting to see if when Coach K goes, is it still going to be that same deal that has become a trend as of recent where these guys are coming here. They're going to play a good brand of basketball, but then they're going to be gone after this first year, regardless of how they do. Or if they're going to start to build, they're going to start to recruit from the transfer portal and make more of an impact that way. So I'm interested to see how that Do goes. you guys think that, like – 
players being drafted from the NBA straight out of high school is going to have an impact on that too. Like that guys that might be one and done might just too. go in the G might. League. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that would make an impact because guys who have that league only mentality, like can do that and can play in the G League or the overtime elite kind of thing going on. And then the guys who really want to go to college will go to college and maybe stay for two, three, maybe four years. So I think that might have a positive impact on the on last one and done's in the college game. Yeah. I mean, you talk about what guys who were in the G League, obviously it was the last, uh, it was the first year of the Ignite team, you know, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kuminga. Jalen Green's been phenomenal lately. I think he's tapered off like a little bit, but he's still been an extremely productive player and he's developed a shot more. And Jonathan Kuminga's had some really great games. He's building his way more, getting into more minutes with the Warriors. Um, do you think that path is going to start to look more viable for these young players as well as like, do you think teams would rather or players would rather go to the G league or get drafted like straight away without that real development player? Cause we've seen a lot of really talented players just fizzle out in the NBA. Like yeah. I, Cam Reddish obviously comes to mind for me um, because there's so many tools there. I don't think he's just, he's just not like a great basketball player per se, um, he was also not like a, a top five pick, but like, does that kind of concern you? If, if you were in their shoes, right. Would that kind of concern you? Right. You, there's so many limited spots on an NBA roster. There's not as much room for development. Like right last year, we saw Jalen Smith drafted by the sun, spent most of the, most of the year in the G league. And then he was traded to the Pacers this year. He's played really well for them as well. Um, do you kind of like see that if you were in that position, would you kind of be afraid to, you know, go from high school straight to the NBA? I just think it's so complicated because of how big of a factor money is in it. Like that's why I think NIL deals are so interesting and the impact that's had on college football. Um, so I, I wonder if that takes, takes place in basketball as well, but like, would I rather go to, go to school for two years and I mean, with a chance of being the best player there, maybe having to sit there or would I rather go straight to the league and have a million dollar check waiting for me, which is just a big draw for some of these guys. So you wonder if even like the development is their first priority at some point, because they've been chasing the money their whole life. And then when it's in their face, like you well, want if you're that, 17, you know? 18 yeah, years exactly. old, like someone shows you millions of dollars. Yeah, it's hard not to take turn it. it down. But yeah. I mean, I, at the end of the day, there's no, there's no one route to get you to success. Um, so you have to keep that in mind, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it is sad and it's disappointing to see when guys are these big names on high school and balls life and all these mixtapes and then just fizzle out. Like, well, I mean, I think going off what Dill said, I mean, I think the NIL deal could save college basketball from losing a lot of recruits to that. And then, I mean, college basketball is always going to have its name. It's always going to have its brand. It's always college basketball. I mean, these kids could deny it or not, but all these kids are growing up, love watching college basketball. They love seeing these stars go from college basketball to the NBA. So I think the NIL will help attract recruits to college basketball. Like you look at Jared McCain, the guy who's insanely popular on TikTok, a great basketball player. He just signed with Duke and they're valuing his NIL deals to be around $400,000 at minimum right now. So it's like, do you want to go to the G League, which is, in my opinion, it's more of a risky path. And make some money there, or you're going to play at Duke. You're going to get you have more eyes at Duke. Too. You have much, much more eyes at Duke, in my opinion. And I think it's just a better experience. Yeah. So I think it'd be more fun too. Any last there. thoughts for this episode? Any errors or omissions? I think we had a, a long one, and 
I mean, we need, we need one there. So much to talk about, you know? A lot to talk about. We didn't talk about Jackson Mahomes and Juju being together, but that's fine. Deadly duo. Oh, my God. They might kill somebody. That might be a deadly duo. Okay. <laughs> That'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for listening. This is Lucas Whitaker signing off. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Peace.